0: The Lightning Thief, Chapter 1. Look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. If you're reading this because you think you might be one, my advice is close this book right now. Believe whatever lie your mom and dad told you about your birth and try to lead a normal life.
1: I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood. Join us as we journey back through a childhood favorite series.
2: And see what lessons we can learn as adults from these books that meant so much to us as kids. Okay, chapter one and two of Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. The first two chapters. They are titled, I Accidentally Vaporize My Pre-Algebra Teacher and Three Old Ladies Knit the Socks of Death can we talk about those titles for a second guys
1: please Uh, (laughs) i'll ever want to knit the socks of death i i i think oh my god i love the title of chapter one i really do but i think the title of chapter two is absolutely hysterical um because socks you know like that's just so like it takes away all like the Annoying, like pretentiousness and formality that, like, some people pin on mythology, and it's like, oh, thank you for making this accessible, but also it's just funny.
2: Yeah, I agree. That's the thing I miss in the the later, like, Heroes of Olympus books. The like, the titles in these Percy Jackson books are just peak, peak humor. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about these chapters through the theme of beginnings. And before we get into that, uh, we're gonna start off with a 30 second recap of the two chapters. And for our first week, Ava's gonna take it away.
1: Okay, guys, I'm a little scared. Um,
2: okay, I'll, I'll, wait. I'll pull up the timer here.
1: You're okay. gonna do great. I believe in you. Okay.
2: <laughs> Ready? Right.
1: Tell me when. Yeah.
2: Set. Go.
1: Picture this first page of a book, you are getting warned. And if you are a demigod, don't read the book. That's the first page. Okay, then you keep going on. Um, Percy is telling you about a field trip he is taking with his school, the Yancey Academy for Troubled Children. He goes to this museum. Um, It's in New York, pretty cool. Something I forgot, but that's for things I forgot about. Um, So he goes to New York. No, he's in New York. He goes to a museum. Um, And his one teacher, um, Mrs. Dobbs, is like being the worst. And at one point, he... Is it really over already? It's really over already. Can I,
0: should I redo it? <laughs> Picture this, the first page of the book you're being warned. What a good line.
2: I think, I think that was very picturesque. I think it was a great uh, descriptive. Uh,
1: yeah, I'll be faster. Like thirty <laughs>
2: I think we'll get better at that as we go along. Okay, should Nev, should we pick up the the rest of what was left out, which is most of it?
0: <laughs> Honestly, like the first chapter is just like, they're on a field trip and um, Mrs. Dunce is um, like, real quick attacks Percy. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then the second chapter is everyone telling him that she didn't exist. Like, I think that's like the quickest way you can say it. And then he overhears Grover and Mr. Brenner, who are his best friend and his teacher talking about how he may be in danger. And then um, he gets kicked out of the Academy, um, which is his sixth school that he's been kicked out of. And uh, then he drives back home to New York. They go on a bus back home to New York for the summer and Grover's really worried about him. And that's kind of, the end of chapter two yeah it's a lot of details in there but i was trying to be concise
2: (laughs) no that was a good concise view of it um i think ava you did very well it was just it was too good you know (laughs) okay it was was (laughs) too in depth for what 30 seconds allows
1: that is fair time's a social construct that's that's (laughs) real isn't it Uh,
2: okay so first we're gonna go through the things we forgot about this book, like rereading it, what we remembered that completely escaped us in the year since we've read it.
1: I forgot. Um, this is I'm pretty sure this is in chapter two, but I forgot um the little bit about um Grover meeting with Mr. Brunner and like telling Mr. Brunner, like, I don't want to fail this one, you know, like I don't want to keep sort of failing and like this will happen if I do, and like sort of all the dangers and like I don't know that like made the stakes higher for everyone involved and like so I thought that was really interesting and kind of riveting I was like oh while I was reading it but yeah I don't know that was the thing that jumped out at me the most
2: uh in the first chapter I forgot about uh peanut butter and ketchup sandwich that disgusted me
0: that sounds vile in the like sides of my book
1: disgusting
2: i know i i was writing my notes and i was like that makes me want to throw up i was like gagging as i was thinking of that like (laughs) i can't (laughs) thinking of it now i'm still like oh
0: that like obviously percy was a troubled kid but i forgot that part of that trouble was like anger issues Like, I feel like that's overlooked in a lot of the other retellings of this story, that it's just like, oh, he's hyper and like, but like, I forgot that he had like, like problems with aggression, which I feel like is another interesting part of his personality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: And like the things he struggled with and stuff. Yeah, I just forgot that he had that problem. And rereading it, it's like a pretty big part of the first chapter. So I was surprised.
2: I also, I I forgot how young sixth grade is
0: me too
2: <laughs> like reading this I would have been probably in like second or third grade and I'm like oh my god sixth grade is so old and now I'm like wow he is so little like <laughs> so know. little
1: it's funny because like I read it in fifth or sixth grade and I was like huh <laughs> you know that's me <laughs> like <laughs> but like looking back at like what I looked like in sixth grade like oh my god like <laughs> it is very young
2: <laughs> also Mr. Brunner is a Latin teacher not a greek teacher this this got me caught up for the the first two chapters because this like is a recurring theme where he's a latin teacher but like teaching about greek stuff
1: yeah yeah because you'd kind of think <laughs> Cause, yeah no i kind of had that same thought when like when percy threw the um book about greek mythology across his room or something i was like so rick Riordan what does Latin mean to you? Like,
2: <laughs> I know. I was like, why are, they, why are they learning Greek mythology in their Latin class?
1: Like, you would be learning about Roman mythology if you follow history. <laughs> like, I don't know. But, like, I did think it was cool. I mean, because yeah. realistically, like, who teaches Greek to sixth graders?
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely no, there's no Greek classes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there was one moment that I guess could count as something I forgot about, but it just made me sad. <laughs> but like I forgot about this specific moment where like after he gets expelled from uh, Yancey and he takes his final exam for Latin slash Greek, <laughs> whatever it was, um, what like uh Mr. Brunner like comforts him and he's like, I know like it's for the best. Like I'm sorry you have to leave, but like you just don't fit in here. Um, and like he was um it was like it all in front of the class, like after they took this final exam. And he says like, what I'm trying to say is you're not normal, Percy. That's nothing to be. And he's like, thanks. I blurted. Thanks a lot, sir, for reminding me. And it was just so sad. <laughs> like, I don't really know if that counts. Something
1: I forgot, but I was just like, that's so sad.
2: <laughs> no, I agree. I forgot how sad like Percy is in the beginning of this, you know,
1: exactly. It like made me really upset. Like, On a sort of like deeper level, like seeing him genuinely not think that anyone was on his side and like not even feel the motivation to do well or to get approval from his teachers, I was like, oh my god! I was like, that wasn't me at all. Like I sort of relate to I don't know, like the people who think they're demigods, you know, in a lot of ways, but like not that one. Like I, I don't know, like I was always the person who wanted their teachers' approval, wanted to do well so they would be you know not like rewarded but I was very much like little miss teacher's friend you know yeah (laughs) I wanted that attention all the time and like the fact that Percy doesn't think that anyone believes in him to the extent that he doesn't even care about that attention like wow
2: yeah and this kind of leads into our topic of beginnings but I forgot how much Percy struggles at the beginning of these books like when you look back and when you look at the movie and the musical, and all this stuff has come out of this specific book, and even just the memories of it. And the, through the arc of the whole series, Percy seems like a cool, badass character that you're like, oh, yeah, that's Percy Jackson. But rereading this first two chapters, I was like, oh, he is struggling so much. And he's just like this dorky little kid with a lot of things going on. And it's just really sad. And I forgot how sad his life starts off and I forgot how good of an actual character arc he's going to have because he doesn't start the way that we all end up perceiving the character. Uh, That was interesting to me.
1: That's real. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I also found like he was like, there was a part that um, Mr. Brunner like talks to him and is like, I only expect the best from you. And he talks to Grover about it, like, Percy talks to Grover about it, and he's like, like, I'm not a genius, like, I don't understand what he wants from me. So, like, at the same, he's, like, disappointed in himself for not being able to do well, but also when someone's like, I expect the best from you, I want you to do well, he's like, well, I'm not that smart. Like, I'm not, like, he has, like, such, like, a conflicting, like, headspace of whether or not he wants to do well, which I noticed. Definitely. Definitely.
2: Also, I realized something in... So, when they're outside and Nancy Boba Fett uh, is insulting them, and I don't remember the exact context, even though I just read this yesterday, uh, but... And then the water reaches up and grabs her, and then Mrs. Dodds comes over, and I was like, oh, this is because he's the son of Poseidon. Like, that, this is was the key to why... She noticed him. He wasn't like, Mrs. Dodds wasn't searching out for him that whole time, as it's almost retold in the other adaptions of this. It's like that action there with the seeing the water reach up and grab her, that confirms that he's a son of Poseidon to her. And that's why she attacks him. And I completely never realized that.
0: Oh, I want to go something to real, really quickly. It's like not related to Doubt, but also... So in chapter two, it starts out with like the Mist being like this lady never existed and everyone's telling... Like even Grover is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like Grover and Mr. Brunner are both like this lady has never existed. I want to know, um, I really wrote in my notes. I do wonder why after Percy saw and was attacked by a monster, Grover and Mr. Brunner still try to keep like it under wraps. And like during that conversation that he overhears, um, Mr. Brenner's like, we need the boy to mature more and like let him enjoy his ignorance. Like, I understand, sir, but he saw one. Like, maybe it's time to give up the act. I just thought like it was so weird that they tried to like continue hiding it from him after he literally killed one. Like, maybe it's time to maybe it's time to let him know.
1: <laughs> Who's
0: gonna tell?
2: No, I completely felt that too. And I, I was thinking that the whole time. And specifically with the scene where he sees Mrs. Dodds as a Fury, I wrote, Mr. Brunner is only like 20% helping. Like, he <laughs> just he just throws the pen and is like, fight. Like, 12-year-old boy goes, here's a sword. You've never held a sword before. You don't know how to use a sword and kill this creature from hell. And just sits there. Like, this is a full-grown centaur man like who could fully help. But he's like, you know, like I gotta I gotta sit this one out. You know, like you got this.
1: The man doesn't even say catch. Like he throws the pen and he goes, whoa, and like that could mean that he's doing the fighting for him. But like no, like
2: he's And then just... he disappears.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, like I know this is a little this point's a little risky, I think, to make. Um, but the fact that like you know Percy saw what he saw but then he he came back and everyone was like denying that he saw it and like making him think that he's crazy I was like that's gaslighting like I, I literally was like this isn't okay but then it was like it's very much like you know for his well-being like literally keeping him alive but I was still like this treads on some boundaries <laughs> that I just simply I didn't know what they were in like elementary and middle school I was like oh my god but yeah
2: okay so should we start talking about where we found the theme of beginnings in these chapters
0: it's just like i understand why i enjoyed it so much specifically as like a kid because every single like every other sentence is like suspenseful in some way (laughs) like because it's narrated by percy like you really are like just as clueless as he is and it like keeps you reading Because, like, this is a relatively, like, looking back on it, like, for, like, third grader, like, this is a relatively big book. Like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fat book for a nine-year-old. So, I was, like, I understand why it, like, keeps you reading through it, you know? Because it's so, everything is so suspenseful. Like, these first two chapters, he really has no clue what's going on. And, like, nobody will tell him.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a really, like, smart literary tool, almost, that it's the exposition is written so well uh especially that scene of, in the museum where they're talking about cronus and they're when you're reading it at first you're like oh this is just a little greek mythology story because it's going to be about greek mythology and whatever and but it's actually the entire premise for the arc of the series but you don't realize that but it's it's pre-knowledge that you need to understand it but you don't know that you're going to need to understand it at that point which is super smart writing
1: Mm -hmm. no i agree
2: i also looking at the first paragraph i thought beginnings are scary you put something at risk by starting anything was what i got from that like first section because he's like don't read this if you're a half-blood because you're gonna risk your life But all of us were like, I'm probably a half-blood. I'm going to risk my life anyways. But it just had me thinking about like how beginnings are like whenever you're beginning something, you're also ending something. So you're putting yourself at risk and leaving the safety that you have preconceived.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Like even if it's something like a fictional book, like you're still losing some kind of like innocence in a way.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so true. That first paragraph is one of my favorite first paragraphs ever. Like, what a good opening to a book.
2: It is really good.
0: And it's so strange because it's actively telling you, like, no. <laughs> like, maybe don't read this. But I was like, this is the coolest opening. I wrote in the margins of my book, God-tier opening. One of the best. <laughs> like, so good.
1: It really plays on, like, sort of, t- like, preteens and like teens like desire to like play with reverse psychology because I really feel like when you're sort of growing up and like I don't know you you have to abide by all these rules like all the time um but you're just starting to see like you know what would it be like if I didn't do that like someone telling you not to do something like you do it boom like that's how it is and like the author of this entire series is like, no, like, do not read my books, go away. like, And you're like, no, bitch, like, (laughs) you're like, no, I want to read this book. And it's just, it's interesting, because like, in a way, it's a risk. Um, But also, he writes it sarcastically enough so that, you know, it's kind of not, you know, you know that anyone in their right minds will continue. So, yeah, very interesting.
2: Yeah, where else did we see beginnings in these chapters
1: i mean this is the pretentious classicist in me saying that latin is in a way a beginning language like i just think that like the introduction of the specificity of like a latin teacher um you know m- my brain was kind of like that's sort of I mean, I think in Western culture, I I do not think by any means that it was like the first language. But I think like in Western culture, like so often it's credited as being the first language that people, you know, that that is like looked to in history. And it's like, yeah, it's
2: the basis of all the Romance languages.
1: Yeah. And so that's kind of like, you know, you look up a word and it always shows like the Latin base. And it's like, you know, that's the beginning for all the systems of communication we have now you know, in the Western world. So, like, I just thought that was cool. Like, I noticed that and I was like, ah, yes, (laughs) the importance of Latin. (laughs)
2: That's such an interesting, yeah, that's such an interesting connection that I didn't even think about.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I noticed that, like, the beginning of this book is an ending. Like, it's him getting kicked out of another school. And I feel like it just really shows, like, you... You don't know which ending could, like, the reason, him getting kicked out of Yancey is the reason that everything else happens, like, for the rest of his, like, like <laughs> fictional life in this series, you know? So I feel like it just really, like, showed the point of, you don't know what ending could be the beginning to something else that is completely amazing for your life. Or terrifying. Or both. But, like, <laughs> it's just really... It was a really good way to show, like, especially to, like, younger kids, like, endings don't always mean negative things, even if you, even if it feels like they do. So.
2: That's so, that's so interesting. I also, I was thinking about that as well, and uh, it took me to a place of, so if we look at the hero's journey arc, like the Joseph Campbell hero's journey uh, system of storytelling, which is Embedded in everything in Western storytelling, basically. Uh, the inciting incident is credited as the beginning of most stories. It's what starts off the arc of it. But when we have the movie and the musical, which I can't help but not think of because I've been exposed to them so much more recently than rereading this book, uh, Mrs. Dodd's attack is considered the inciting incident but i'm not sure if it is rereading these chapters because these two chapters seem to be completely exposition for me Mm -hmm. and i don't think the inciting incident is till the next set of chapters when his mom gets abducted which is actually what causes him to go off on the quest later on which we'll get to uh so I won't go talk about that too much now, but it just had me thinking of what the difference between a beginning and an inciting incident is. And that exposition is a huge, it's much more part of a beginning than that inciting incident is. And inciting incident is almost more of the transition from beginning to middle and exposition is all the beginning. And this is just some really well-written exposition.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah no that's it's interesting that you like bring up you know the difficulties of exposition because I I feel like we see like in a lot of like tv shows like people can't make it past season one like I feel that way about a lot of things like and it's like I think it's because like that is that has to be all exposition hello exposition because like you can't jump into a plot line that you know plays on audiences attachments to a certain character um you know and that's how I feel like so many tv shows find their success like in those kind of plot lines because it keeps people watching and um you know exposition like it seems easy because you just lay out the details but like if you just lay out the details you're gonna bore your readers or your viewers or whatever so it's it's really it's interesting like the tone Rick Riordan takes to like you know having to put that exposition in because like he doesn't he doesn't make it boring like he makes you want to keep reading, which is a feat you know with that amount of like setting things up and like establishing a base
0: yeah I feel like he's so successful in that because he's narrating like as a someone who is like the same age or like a little bit older than like his target demographic for this book you know. Like it just feels like you're in a conversation with Percy and he's like telling you this wild story, <laughs> like what happened once. So you're like, it. you feel like engaged in it. Also because he directly calls out the reader in the first page. Like you feel like he's just talking to you. Like you're having a conversation with him, which is such a good way to start a book always.
2: Definitely. I also think it goes, I, I, for some reason thought this was going to go zero to 60 really fast. Like that's how I remembered it. I forgot how much of a slow burn like this book starts off off as because it goes in the, I keep talking about the adaptions of it, but uh, in those, the exposition is really condensed and it goes from like the first 10 minutes of exposition and then they're in Camp Half-Blood. But we're still not there yet. Two chapters in and we're not going to be for a little bit still and i just forgot how carefully laid out everything is and like you don't get everything at once like you do so often in other types of literature and uh stories and movies and all that kind of telling of stories <laughs> that was a tongue twister
0: I also feel like ending the second chapter with, like, having the second chapter being about um, the fates, and I was scared of those ladies, scared of them. I would have, like, nightmares about, like, seeing old ladies snip yarn, like, knowing the repercussions of it. But, like, the second chapter ends with, like, with Percy asking Grover, like, does that mean, like that someone's gonna die and then it was Grover being like him saying like Grover looked at me like I um like he was picking out what flowers we best on my coffin like what a way to end like the beginning of a story like Percy might die like really just like go out the gate like he might die in this like that's insane
2: I know I I wrote down that quote too it's like that quote was like so hard hitting as the end of like the second chapter in this children's book. And I was like, damn, wow. <laughs> and I think since we're talking about beginnings, we can't ignore the presence of the fates in this second chapter because the fates are the beginning, middle and end. And it just got me thinking about how intrinsically wrapped up beginnings and ends are like they are the same in a in a way like this book series begins with the air quotes death of his mother uh or this book specifically begins with the death of his mother and then ends with her resurrection essentially
0: mm-hmm. uh not yes. to
2: spoil the, the books i guess <laughs> uh, but i don't know that was just interesting i
0: yeah
1: no, I agree with that. I really see that. Kind of in like, oh, it's so meta, you know, in, in like seeing the fur- furies, hello and seeing the fates, kind of like learning about them. You know, that's the beginning for you. Like that's the beginning of your knowledge. That's the end of their like anonymity in your brain. And like, it's crazy. Like they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I've only had
0: nightmares about that for like, I can't even describe. (laughs) They were some of the scariest figures ever, even though they were just, like, old ladies knitting. Like, the idea of that was just terrifying to me as a child.
2: No, it's really creepy. Also, Grover is really creepy in the second chapter, like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of (laughs) true.
2: Like, you cannot blame Percy for, like, running off because Grover is so sketchy and, like, (laughs) We, he was making me stressed out reading it. I was like, oh,
1: man. Same.
2: Okay, now we're going to move on to our favorite Percy Sass moments because there are so many good ones in this series. Uh, who wants to go first?
0: Um, I'll say one. I don't remember what page it's on, but I have it written on my notes. Um, it's on Mrs. Dodds. Um, She looked mean enough to ride a Harley right into your locker. I don't know why I found that really funny. (laughs) It's it's just so specific (laughs) to like how she looked in general, like how like angry she looked, but also like why in any instance would she be riding a Harley motorcycle into your locker? I don't know why it was just so oddly specific that I I found it hilarious.
2: (laughs) That is really specific. I love it.
1: All right, Ava, you got one? Yeah, I do. I did okay. Um, so page nine, it's like probably two-thirds of the way down. Um when he's talking about Nancy Boba Fett, um, he goes, her freckles were orange as if somebody had spray painted her face with liquid Cheetos. And like, I saw it. Like I saw it in my mind's eye. I was like, damn, that's orange, or dang, that's orange. And I don't know. I, you know, the amount of sass mixed with description. um, I loved it. Best line.
0: I wrote that one down too. That was funny.
2: I really liked this part that it wasn't the most sassy part, but it just vibed with me. Um, They were juvenile delinquents like me, but they were rich juvenile delinquents. Their daddies were executives or ambassadors or celebrities. I was a nobody from a family of nobodies, which is sad. Uh, but also, uh, Percy said, eat the rich, and I vibed with that.
0: Didn't say eat the rich. I was like, that was another thing I should have said I forgot about. Because, like, Grover hands him that card, and he was like, this is my summer address. And he's like, oh, so you're rich, too. I was like, like, mixing some classism in here. <laughs> like,
2: I was like, this is some great political commentary. Is this why I'm a socialist? Yeah. Like- <laughs>
0: oh my god percy jackson is the reason we're socialists that makes sense.
2: <laughs> the Sorry. origin story anyone have any more i do i have one more
0: i also have one more um it is when miss dodds pulls him out to eventually attack him um but she is like saying um stuff that vaguely implies the main conflict of the book being like, we're going to find you out. Like you need to confess. Um, And he says, all I could think of was that the teachers must've found the illegal stash of candy. I've been selling out of my dorm room. Maybe they'd realized I got my essay on Tom Sawyer from the internet without ever reading the book. And now they were going to take away my grade or worse. They were going to make me read the book. (laughs) (laughs) That
2: That was such a good cluster of sentences. I made a note on mine Saying oh, so he's a candy dealer, like that's a little <laughs> baller,
0: <laughs> no, this kid was a badass, like some of the stuff he said was like insane
2: <laughs> I also wrote um this is at the beginning of chapter two, page seventeen uh about one of his teachers. He says, I called him an old sot. I wasn't sure what the, it meant, but it sounded good. I was like this like 12 year olds just going up throwing some like british slang insults at their teacher not knowing what it means but like i was like i'm just gonna say it anyways because it sounds good like you old sot i
1: loved that i immediately like pictured like a sixth grader calling like their teacher an old sot and i literally if i was the teacher i would have laughed so hard
2: (laughs) i know i was thinking could you even get in trouble for that like is is that bad i don't know (laughs)
0: yeah that was all of mine though they're very funny
2: okay so for our final section we're all going to give an offering for one of these characters uh and say a reason why they like resonated or why that character like needs needs a little something from us uh for these what they went through in these chapters so who wants to go first Okay, so my offering here is for Grover because Grover, like, this man cannot catch a break. Like, we're only two chapters in and he's just trying to do his job and this little 12-year-old boy has so much sass in him and has such a death wish. Percy has no concern for his self-survival or well-being and all of that falls on Grover and Percy doesn't even know how much Grover does for him. And he gets no thanks. And I just want I just want to offer Grover some thanks for all the hard work he's been doing at Yancey Academy.
0: Mine was also for Grover. This poor boy. Like I feel like I got like I literally wrote um when he was like, I don't want to fail again. Um just, like, in the margins, like, Talia with, like, a sad face, like, just remembering that whole situation and, like, imagining that that was the last time that he's had to do something like this for it to go, like, so horribly wrong. Um, Also, I love Talia, so (laughs) that's probably why, but, like, um, he really just does, he's, it's so sad, and he's, like, so, I feel like he when having that conversation with Mr. Brunner was like I really think we should tell him like I really think we should warn him and he was like no you can't. So he's just keeping this like terrible secret as like the only one who's really having to talk to Percy a lot. Um and then Percy's rejecting it because he doesn't know what he's talking about but he's like no like you don't understand. <laughs> like you I need to stay with you and protect you and he's like I don't know like and he's so dismissive over it, you know.
1: So yeah, I agree. Also Grover. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Mine was also for Grover. <laughs> I, That's so funny. We're really on the same wavelength. I yeah, Neem. I kind of thought, you know, a similar way about it, but I sort of thought more. I don't know. I I felt a lot about chapter two, um, like a lot about the I don't want to fail again part. But I thought specifically a lot about like the you know what happens if I fail again part. Um sort of like the dire consequences. I was like, I just want you to be okay. <laughs> like little goat boy. Like, I just want you to be okay. <laughs> and boy. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think he's so, it's interesting because he has lived so long Um, and yet he is perpetually stressed out. <laughs> I, just, I just want to give him peace. I don't know how I would do so, but that, is what I would give to Grover if I could.
2: Okay, so that's it for today. For next week, we're going to be reading chapters three and four and looking at it through the theme of surprise. So feel free to read along with us and join in and uh, follow us on social media and give us a like, a review, and a follow. Thank you.
1: Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs>